There's two readings today, three actually. First couple are from John chapter 17, verses 9 to 11, and then 20 to 26. I pray for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have, you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And now, jumping through to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in them, I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be with them in you. And then 1 John chapter 4, 7-21. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he lives in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There's no fear in love but love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who, who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. We've been focusing on prayer, we've been focusing on the Lord's Prayer and, and all of that, and now we're going to shift gears a bit. You want to come to address the issue of what is the activity that is the expression 
of the community of faith that is of most importance. Now, as I thought about it, I came across this. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you do with it. Okay? And that was spoken by a man who had grown up in a home of drunken violence. He had moved from angry, bitter hatred of his alcoholic mother to forgive her and to love her. It wasn't easy, but he said it was worth it. Friends, to choose the way of love is always worth it. Showing love is actually the power of the gospel. Speaking of love, I found these comments. Children really teach us lots of things. This is a group of four to eight-year-olds who were asked, what does love mean? Their answers were broad and deep and deeper than anyone could have imagined. Here's some of them. Love is that first feeling you feel before all the bad stuff gets in the way. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's a, way, that's a great one, isn't it? You know? Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Love is when someone hurts you and you get so mad that you don't yell at them because you know how it would hurt their feelings. Love is when mummy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Love is when you kiss all the time and then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mum and dad are like that. They look gross when they kiss though. Love is when mummy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Love is when mum sees dad smelly and sweaty and still says he's more handsome than Robert Redford. I know my older sister loves me because she's giving me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. <laughs> when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. When uh, my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. They're great statements, aren't they? Expressing love is really vital to living a positive, creative life. And yet, let's be honest, a lot of people choose a different path. They actually choose the way of hate. I've never forgot reading about this. I mean, what leads a person like Mike Tyson, if you remember, was heavyweight boxing. He said, when he was in jail for rape, I hate everybody. I know they say, now you can't hate the whole world, don't be bitter. I just hate everybody. That's what he said. Then what makes a person behave like Mother Teresa? Listen to some of her words. I've found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there's no more hurt but only more love. Mike Tyson's life was an ugly mess because he chose the way of bitterness and hate. Mother Teresa's life was an inspiration to all because she chose the way of love. In a world full of pain, 
suffering, hurt. It's not easy to love. It's the riskiest, most costly venture we can get into. It involves incredible vulnerability, but it always makes life worthwhile because it meets one of the basic needs of every human being to be loved and to give love. Some of you are old enough to remember this. Down in the 60s, one of the looting love songs had the words, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Remember that? Some of you are old enough. That has always been 100% correct, friends. And the reason is obvious. The Bible tells us God is love. And we heard that reading earlier. It also states in John 4.24, God is spirit. If you put that together, God is love, God is spirit, then love in its barest essence is of the spirit of God. It's a physical activity displayed in a spiritual activity, I should say, a spiritual activity displayed in attitudes and behaviours that flow from the source of all love, God. Male, females, men, were made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26, 27. The point being that since God is both love and spirit, then mankind is to be a creature of love for the purpose of loving. Okay? We're made for love, we're made to be loved, and we're made to give love. Love is at the core of our being. For in our heart, we're essentially spiritual beings who alone in all creation have a relationship of love to and from God. Now listen carefully. The height of our love for God cannot exceed the depth of our love for one another. If you get nothing else today, get that. Because that's a critical issue. Trust is the essential part of the relationship of love. And I remind you at this point that Satan is a liar and a deceiver. He's an adversary who seeks to destroy the very fabric of our relationship with God. He works to break down trust in God. That's how he got Eve to question God's goodness by focusing her attention on the one thing he'd held back from them. You can check it all out, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Satan offered her an alternative suggesting they could eat without suffering any penalty. You know, Satan always says, you can get away with it. Notice that? You can get away with it. That's a lie, a monstrous lie. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, of from mankind was now separated from the source of love. In place of peace and harmony of the soul came fear and anxiety. Innocence and purity became shame and guilt. In place of life came spiritual death. Love drying up always leads to death. Now some people are really um, somewhat perverse. King Frederick II took some babies for an experiment. He was a Roman emperor, king of Sicily, who lived 1194 to 1250 AD. His father had died when he was three. He'd grown up in Palermo, the victim of intrigues and struggles which damaged his personality. So he had an experiment. He had babies fed and washed. Their every material need was met. 
but they were not talked to, not caressed, not cuddled, not even held. In other words, no love was shown to these infants and they all died. We need to be loved, friends, to live. We need to know love in our lives. It's critical to who we are and what we can be. But when we cut ourselves off from God by disobeying his word, we cut ourselves off from the very source of love. And death has to follow. That's the way it is. Land without water dries up. You know this. Some of farming and community, you, you know what that kind of thing happens. Every day, life slowly disappears from it. If there's no water, no moisture, eventually it will become just a wasteland, dried sand, harsh, lifeless, thirsting for that which would give it life once more, rain. That's how it is with souls separated from God's love. A dry, barren emptiness sets in loneliness, depression, a thirst of the soul that leads to the selfish behaviour that we see in so many, even in ourselves. You see, self-pity arises. No one cares. Nobody understands. Nobody really loves me. Fear and anxiety are triggered. Everyone's against me. If I fail, you won't love me. Attention-getting behaviour outlandish hairstyles, um, dress, behaviour, aggressiveness, whatever, demanding attitudes, self-centeredness, jealousies, manipulation comes in, setting people up to do what we want to meet our needs. And society's answer to this is seen in the hedonistic idea, fulfil your desires best, seen in all the how-to books that come out. You know, how to be successful in business, with girls, with boys, how to be rich, how to be a great lover. It goes on and on and on, friends. And you know, the sales of those books are amongst the most successful. That's interesting, isn't it? Because that's addressing something people really want. It comes from the idea that we can only achieve something worthwhile, someone, if I can do that, if something really happens in my life, someone will love me. And the tragedy is those actions usually move us further and further from the source of our real need, God and his love. God knows our need. He created us. And he has moved to put right that which is wrong in our lives, friends. Jesus is the love of God in action. He's the living embodiment of love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price. Now, I want to push imagination for a bit. Within the Trinity, within the self-love of God, we find absolute unity of love perfect in every way. I mean, just think, each personality is different, but of one accord. There's no division, no independent action, no competition, just a total perfect unity with one purpose, the salvation of mankind. And this is how you can see it. In the Old Testament, God, the Creator, Father, appears at the forefront performing miracles, wonders, healing the sick, bringing new life, setting captives free, calling people to be his own, saving them. In the New Testament, God the Son now appears in the forefront, 
doing the same things, going on to lay down his fully human life as a sacrifice of love in perfect obedience to his Father's will to redeem all of us from the power of sin. Then in the church, God the Holy Spirit appears in the forefront doing what the Father and the Son had done in and through those who follow Jesus in the way. At the same time, every aspect, whether it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, every aspect of God is involved. That's awesome, friends. Though through it all, no offence is taken by the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. There's no vying for who gets the credit and the glory. They're in absolute perfect harmony in all they do, so much so that you cannot separate them. Listen to me. Trinity love makes three be one. In fact, it makes four be one. It makes a hundred be one. It makes a thousand be one. Jesus prayed that this kind of love would be in us. Why? So that we may be one with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with that Holy Spirit, we're filled with the love of the Trinity and are to become expressions of God's love into the world. Then, according to Jesus, the world will know that God sent Jesus, that God loves us and he loves his very own and that we are disciples of Jesus. The world will know. You see, the love within the Trinity is actually the basis for Christian community as God designed it to be. How does that love operate? The Bible teaches us that the Father is in the Son doing His work. The Son is in the Father doing the Father's will. The Holy Spirit is in the Son empowering Him to do the work of the Father. And the same principle operates in those who believe in Jesus and who have, through their faith in Him, received the Holy Spirit into their lives. The Holy Spirit, in perfect union with the Son and the Father, comes to Jesus' followers so that they are in Jesus and Jesus is in them doing the work of the Father. In this way, the church, the body of Christ, continues the ministry of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in perfect unity because the power of God's love is binding the disciples together in that unity that is perfect. Satan will do anything to destroy that and he does it by building distrust in the midst of God's people. That breaks down community, friends. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, John tells us that our life in this world is the same as Christ Jesus' life. It's a life in total unity with God. The kingdom of God is people through faith in Jesus living in the power of the love of the Trinity. Friends, in truth, the kingdom of God, the kingdom reign of God is the reign of love, His love. It must always be that way, for the truth is God is love. Jesus, full of Holy Spirit, full of love, lay down his life to make it possible for a new mankind to be born into this world from the old. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. Paul 2 Corinthians 5.17 
Friends, that's a summation of the purpose of God in Jesus. To put to death what is corrupt in us so that there might be new life arising in us. Life sowed and maturing in his love. Love is the proof of our salvation. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. You know, it's easy to know whether you're born of God or not. The answer to the question says it all. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Really love them. Scripture says we know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Jesus is the only solution to our real need, not programs relying on human powers. It was the empty souls that Jesus that caused Jesus to weep over Jerusalem, the spiritually blind and the deaf who couldn't budge one centimetre from their self-righteousness to receive his overwhelming love. He knew their need and it broke his heart to see them rejecting the one thing they needed. His word of love felt mostly on deaf ears. Let's be serious about that. His expressions of love. He died because of those who were deaf to him and they helped to kill him. Some, of course, did recognise him and those who became his disciples received the fullness of his love and they received Jesus' power to minister that love and to build new communities, fellowships of love. That's what it's all about, friends. With amazing faithfulness, they set about the impossible task of continuing to proclaim and manifest the kingdom of God that Jesus had involved them in. It was Jesus' love that compelled them. Nothing could stop them. His love drove disciples who were once timid, fearful people to risk everything in order to proclaim the gospel in hostile cities, to minister the gifts of the Spirit for the healing of the sick, for the casting out of demons, raising the dead to life as manifestations of the love of God. The gifts of the Spirit are his way of expressing that love. Let me give you a thing. Church, you know, is a prism. You, as people of God, are a part of the prism. God's pure grace and love comes down and hits us as a prism and radiates then, like a prism does, that pure light now into a rainbow of colours, which in fact are the gifts of the Spirit operating in love to reach a lost world. That's how it is, friends. That really excites me. As a former electrician, that really grabs me, actually, <laughs> to use that kind of imagery in that way. Okay, Friends, love is the aim of the gifts of the Spirit. It was the aim of all the miracles Jesus performed. To heal is to love. To pray is to love. To deliver from evil is to love. To bring real life to those who have no life or have a false life is to love. The disciples, born in you of water and the Spirit, John 3, 3, 8, were aflame with the love of God poured into them so that later on Paul can write, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, Romans 5, 5. That is actually one of the scriptures that for me is part of just my life testimony. 
because I know that's exactly what God did to me one time. A few times, actually. Friends, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism with the fire of God's holy love and that which was given to them at Pentecost is for you and me today. Jesus came and lived on earth the firstborn of many to bring the love of God back into the hearts of human lives. Love isn't one of the elements of the Christian life. It's the element, friends. Love is the mark of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, the Lord in the kingdom of God, commanded us to love one another. John 13, 34. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, Christians are people dedicated to love. When Jesus died and was buried and then rose again to ascend to his former glory, he was exalted at the right hand of God. He received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out what you now see and hear, is what uh, Peter said, Acts 2, verses 32, 33. That was Peter's message to a whole bunch of people gathered in Jerusalem, that first Christian Pentecost. And the amazing thing about God's love is the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This baptism with love is the power behind the gospel, friends. The church today, this church, you and I, we need to pray down upon ourselves, upon every member, the full presence of the Holy Spirit with the full range of the gifts of the Spirit that we would be supplied with the powerful ministries of love and the loving ministries of power because the world's wounded need God and His love desperately. We're to be the demonstrations of that, the purveyors of that, the proclaimers of that, the displayers of that love. Now, a story is told of sailors in the days of sailing ships and these always grabbed me because I had a grandfather who ran away from home as a 14-year-old and went on a sailing ship. He used to tell me all sorts of stories. This is not from him. This is a story of sailors in the days of sailing ships who were dying of thirst after a long voyage to South America. They had nearly reached land and they knew it was just over the horizon but they were doomed because their water supplies had long run out. At the last possible moment, before the first of them died, another boat appeared and drew near and hailed them and asked if they needed anything. The dying crew cried, Water! Water! The sailors on the other boat pointed to the sea all around them, making signs to indicate they should drink it. Crazy? No. The vessel had reached the outpouring of the mighty Amazon River, which carries fresh water many, many kilometres out to sea. They were dying of thirst, sailing in fresh water. Life-giving water was there for their taking. They didn't know. That's the state I feel so often of so many church folk as well as the vast majority of the population out there. Life-giving water, fountains of the water of life all around them, but they do not know it's available or how to get it. Some are too busy doing their own thing. Others are bound up by their circumstances. Whatever, they've never drunk to the full of the grace and the love and the fellowship of God. Instead of the abundant life, there's desert sand. You and I are called by God to show them the way. 
Our calling and purpose as followers of Jesus is love God completely, to love self correctly and to love others comprehensively. Our witnessing, our evangelizing is simply a matter of speaking of God's love for us, demonstrating it in all sorts of practical, caring ways as well as supernaturally through prayer, looking for the miracles of God to happen. Now, I know the situation. Some years ago in North Brisbane, a Christian lady uh, moved into the area. At the point she moved, she had no friends in that area, of course, and she felt desperately lonely. The church she was going to was okay, but she somehow hadn't, people hadn't really connected with her. She decided to do something about it. Opposite her home were units for rent. When someone moved in, she went over with a meal. She said, I'm bringing you something to eat so you will not have to prepare your own meal. I'll come back for the dishes later. Don't bother washing them. When she returned to collect the dishes, she said, if there's anything you need, I'll be glad to help you. She befriended non-church people in the same way, inviting them to morning and afternoon teas. Every weekday she did this, praying God would give her an opportunity to say something about Jesus, about his love, about his church. The impact of this lady was that within one year, at least eight new people started attending church because she took the time of being a friend who invited them after winning their hearts through the friendship to attend. At the end of the year, she had six more on the way. I want you to think about that now. Every one of us has the potential to influence six to eight others for the gospel so they would become part of his church through our witness of love. Now, I'm going to be conservative for a moment. Fifty of us impact six people over the next year. Okay? Three hundred people are now impacted. Friends, that's the way of evangelism. That's the way of witnessing. The way is hanging in with people in their hurt and their struggle. Okay? Sharing Jesus' love in friendship and then word and deed. It's a high-risk venture. But the rewards are tremendous. It's living the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, it's the only way Wangaratta Baptist Church or any church will really fulfill its calling to be the church that God wants it to be. A church of healing and hospitality, giving hope to those separated from Him. Sacrificial love is the means of having more of Jesus, being more like Jesus and doing more for Jesus. Scripture puts it this way. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Are you going to be that kind of community marked by the love of God in Christ Jesus? Your future will answer that your attitude and values and relationships within the fellowship and outside in the non-believing world will answer that. Let's pray. Father, wonderful Father in heaven, full of love 
and grace and mercy. Father, you love the world so much, you surrendered your Son to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, in the victory that your Son won on the cross and in the resurrection, in the redeeming love that is available to us, you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. You forgive our sin, you cleanse us from its stain, and you pour your Holy Spirit out into our hearts, into our lives. You call us to be your children. Oh, God, help us, Father, to live truly as your children. Even this day, even now, I pray, pour your Holy Spirit down on me, on this people, Lord, on this fellowship. Fill us with love that we've never had before, that we will move to a whole new dimension of discipleship, that we will move to a whole new level of community life, because it is, it will be marked by the love you have for us and the love we have for you that you've given us. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.